Welcome to My Ed Expert, specializing in what's possible in education. By merging research, practice, and passion, we provide insights from top educational thought leaders for right now implementation. Now, here's your host, author Susie Pepper Rollins. I'm so very glad that you joined me today. I'm going to be talking about station teaching, calling the stations in the fast line, because in a really short amount of time, I'm going to try to give you some of my best tips that I've learned over the years and from other fabulous educators that I've seen implementing stations. Stations can be one of our very best instructional frameworks. It gives students the opportunity to to build leadership skills, to be autonomous. Uh, With the right stations, they can be better creative thinkers, critical thinkers. And let's face it, one of the biggest advantages for station teaching is high student engagement. You know, they don't have a very long attention span. I don't either. But what we can do with stations is build these to go with the student's attention span. So good rule of thumb is an elementary age, age plus one. That's how many minutes. Middle school, maybe 11, 12 minutes. But what's interesting is high school kids really, they're not, they're not that more, much more attentive, which probably won't come as a surprise to our high school teachers. Um, in my books, I put 15 minutes down. That's what Eric Jensen goes by for high school. But honestly, more recent research I've read has high school kids at about 11 minutes as well. So, of course, it varies by student, but we'd like our stations to be somewhere in that range. So I'm not going to ever make stations more than 15 minutes long, even in high school. They're going to be more like 10, 11, 12 minutes, enough time to really dig in, but but not so much time that they start to get restless. Uh, Stations are really the epitome of the student-centered classroom. Uh, They take some practice in building. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the watch fors um, and things to look out for when we build our stations. Um, one thing that can be kind of tricky with stations is students like them so much and they can be so engaged that sometimes that can give a false impression. I know I've walked in classrooms many times and when there are stations going on, I think, yay, we're doing stations. And then I'm like, no, they don't understand what they're doing. So we have to be careful how we build it because They should be, in my opinion, every station should be on the learning target. Um, And sometimes I might get off a little bit on that. So I want to be careful, as simple as that sounds, that each station really deepens their understanding on the learning target. The other thing to really watch for in stations i found is they are so engaging and students have a lot of freedom and autonomy, which is fantastic. But sometimes I don't know who knows what. I mean, how much are are they relying on another person, a friend, in their stations? Because sometimes you can hide a little bit in stations because other everybody's kind of working together. So one of the things I'm really adamant about, adamant about on stations is that there is evidence of student work at each station. That each student is developing work. Here is the biggest question that I come across in crafting stations. And if we think about it, it, it just, and there's, they're going to, you're going to hear some different opinions on this and I'm going to share mine. A really big question when we craft our stations is this, are we going to have a teacher station or are we going to be out with our students exploring the stations? I believe it varies on what we're teaching, but let's talk about some pros and cons here. The, the great thing about having a teacher station, a teacher center there, is that it gives, gives me an opportunity to just work with six students or five or seven, whatever you've got students, a small number of students. So I can really do a deep dive, work with them on their reading, their math, some things I've been seeing in class that I need to address in a small group setting. Now, what's the flip side of that? 
everybody's probably saying it out loud. What's everybody else doing? Because I've got to really focus and give these students my, my utmost attention. And so I don't know how well it might be going on the other stations. And to have that beauty of those 11 or 12 minutes with these students, I don't want to sacrifice 33 minutes out here of stations. So that's one thing to think about. Now, there are things we can do to help that. So when we have a teacher station, one thing I want to watch is I want to be sure there are feedback protocols within the other stations that I'm not in. A common one is to have an answer key. Uh, I like, I saw a great teacher a little while ago who had an answer key, his answer keys at his stations up, taped upside down, hanging off the desk. So when they were through, they could all flip it and check their answers. So there was some way to get some feedback. Another question that comes up is when we have a teacher station, I'm really relying on my students to be, be self-regulatory, to be able to work on their own out here in the stations, which is great. But what if I'm making the rigor not as high as it should be to make sure they can do it? Are you following my thinking on that? So that's one thing I got to be aware of. But sometimes if I don't have the feedback protocols and I'm over here, the rigor may even be too high. I don't know if every, everyone's getting it. I'm not saying we shouldn't have a teacher station. I'm just saying that's the question we got to think about is how are we going to give everybody feedback if I'm over here with my students? So that's a big question to think about. If we have two educators in the room, Gosh, it's, it's, it's much easier to have a teacher station and then one out. So it really kind of depends on where we're doing. Sometimes in a review, like if we're reviewing for a unit, I like to be out in the middle. I can be right in the center and I can watch everybody and give everybody one last bit of feedback before they have their test. So that's, it just depends on where we are in the unit and what we're teaching. So what are our look fors? I mean, what, what's it like to have a station? So in, in thinking, thinking of station teaching, Here's the difference. Let's say we're teaching figurative language. Now, I could do that whole group, and we could take notes on hyperbole and metaphor and alliteration. We could do some practice. But think about that. That might be perfect for stations. So there's going to be a hyperbole station and an alliteration station, and there's going to be a metaphor station. If I'm teaching social studies and we're talking about four key historical figures, guess what? I'm going to have an Andrew Jackson station. I'm going to have a Sequoia station. Same thing if I have four causes of the Great Depression or causes of a war. Each one might be a cause. In science, some of the some of the stations could be labs. Some of it could be text. And speaking of text, boy, is that not another great advantage of stations? In those stations, we could put some level text, some different text. Some text has more pictures. One of the things I like to do to differentiate on text is I annotate the text so that if there's a word that I think might trip up a bunch of my students, like ubiquitous, I might have outline next to it a little arrow that says ubiquitous means all around us. A ravenous is really hungry. So I may annotate some of that text as well. So it gives us an opportunity to really differentiate when we're building our stations. One of the biggest misconceptions about stations is that they have to have a ton of bells and whistles, that it's going to take me a week to plan these, that we have to bring in a professional juggler. No, we do not. Although a professional juggler might be nice. But in math, stations could be simply chart paper on the wall with some questions on them. It could be a math sort in another station. It could be uh, something with vocabulary where they're doing some word art, some art artistic renditions of their vocabulary. It could be a writing station. I like to do rafts. Uh, 
which stands for Role Audience Format Topic. So in math, that may look like the role is a banker, the audience is my customer, the format is an email, and the topic is, uh-oh, your balance is in the negative right now. So I might do a writing station. Stations are also great for technology because we could incorporate technology and it would be appropriate in time so that they're not having 30 minutes of screen time in one setting. They've got 10 or 11 minutes of screen time in one setting. So those are some of this, just some ideas to get you thinking. Now, now we talked about time as one of the things we're looking at. Uh, Generally, it's the attention span of the student, roughly. Uh, We want to stick to our learning target. We want to have evidence of student work. We want to have feedback protocols. Now, one of the things I have found that really helps my station teaching is to use an anchor activity. What an anchor activity does is in addition to visiting these stations and traveling to these stations, you are going to also have an anchor activity that when you have an extra minute or two, you can work on. Because I've been a teacher forever, but I still can't make stations all 11.7 minutes long, right? By the nature of stations, some are going to finish a little bit faster. Uh, One station might be a little more foundational. So what does an anchor activity look like? Uh, One that I use is an essay that's not completely filled in. So there are blanks and holes in the essay. You could use an error analysis where they have to find the mistakes, You could just do some practice problems, but they're going to be doing that as well. And that also goes back to the individual accountability piece. I want to know when everybody leaves today, what each student knows from those stations, what they've learned. So I need to see evidence uh, of, of learning from each station. So let's talk a bit, a little bit about what can be in stations and it's limitless. It's limitless. Um, in English language arts. There could be different pieces of poetry by the same author. I mentioned figurative language. It could be types of sentence structures. It could be different types of sentences uh, by, by each station. We could use games. I'll tell you one of the easiest games to make, and I've modeled this in sessions, is our card games. I love card games. And it just adds that tactile, fun thing to, to it. So let me tell you the way I do them. On a PowerPoint, I just put some questions. For example, the one I have on my expert that everybody can grab if you teach uh, branches of government, my card game, I start with some questions that are level one on the branches of government. Each student has three cards, legislative, executive, and judicial. So a question comes up, you know, about who, which, which branch vetoes, whatever. So you understand. So little questions, and then they play their card. They think and say, hmm, is that executive, legislative, or judicial? And they play their card or sometimes I'll have to put them on their heads. Now, uh, in language arts, what it might be is let's say those are compound complex sentences, different kinds of sentences. So a question comes up on the PowerPoint, the students play their card. So you can make card games. You could do cubes in math. We, it's fun to put math problems on cubes, but I can also put historical figures and things that they've done, roll cubes. We could, you could do a make, they could be a station where they create something. You could use Play-Doh and have a make vocabulary words. You could do all kinds of games. Uh, you could have some practice, some writing. Uh, when I did one for, I built one once for government, uh, for, uh, pork barrel spending. So I'll kind of give you some ideas of what I put in there. One of them, one station had editorials that I'd found online that students could read from different perspectives on pork barrel spending. 
the next one had um, a, a interviews that I'd found, just some links, and they clicked on the interviews where newscasters had interviewed uh, po- politicians about their viewpoints on pork barrel spending. The next station, what I called was just my 411 station, just the information kind of station, the down and dirty station, nuts and bolts. And they had their textbook read and some other other reads just to explain what pork barrel spending is. And then another station, I had some links to the budget, federal budget, so they could find examples of pork barrel spending. So they went through each station and, and worked on that. Now, here was their objective. By the end of this station exercise, this lesson, they had to they had to build their own case where they for or against pork barrel spending. So after they went to the stations, they went back to their home tables, and we did what's called a write around, where they would first express their own opinion. I am for pork barrel spending because blah blah blah. I'm against pork barrel spending, and then they would hand that piece of paper to the person to the right of them. And that person would read their opinion and add to it and chime in and say, well, I can see your point, but I think this. And then we'd pass it around again. So that we did a little write around. And then after that, they would in some way, you know, explain their case about pork barrel spending. So you can do labs. You can do science labs. Uh, I saw a beautiful example once on, on uh, water cycles. I've seen a great teacher do one on the Cold War where they had different leaders and different aspects. You can do map skills. You could do just about anything in a station. And, it, and when we create it, we just take that eye of, okay, what's my learning target? What can I do that will help them get this by the end? And we're going to go around and, and everyone's going to have these great things. I use error analysis quite a bit on those. In math, you can use manipulatives on some of your stations. I mean, you just want to let your mind go on this because it, but you know what? It doesn't always have to be bells and whistles. Guess what? I've done them where they just had reading stations to break the text down. I did one where we had to study so many historical figures. So each station was a historical figure. And I, they had a graphic organizer that was fairly simple. They made bullet points uh, of each person and went around. It, it did not have a lot of bells and whistles, but it was much more effective than just trying to read this text all in one piece. So it gave them a breather. They could get up. They could talk to the partner. They could go to the next station. I also, on my text, I star my text. Like I'll put what's most important, like, or I'll even put skip this if you don't have time, because I have found that students will get a little stressed out if they're worried that they're not going to finish. So I try to prioritize that text so that they know that, okay, if I can't get to all of it, I'm all right here. And then afterwards, that's when I use different, different strategies at their tables. And I tell them, look, if you didn't get it all, don't worry. Uh, well, well, I'll get that. You know, like back to science, respiratory system, one station is going to be the lungs, one station is going to be the trachea and so on. Now, a big question that comes up on stations is about classroom management. If you've never done stations and stations are great all the way through 12th grade, let me correct that. Even for grownups, even for adults, I like to do stations for professional development. We don't all need to be sitting there listening at this time. Give them some fun stuff to do. So let's talk about some tips for classroom management. I learned this one from a teacher I saw in middle school once. I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. And it worked well for her. Now, she was a math teacher. And what she did is she liked having her teacher station, which was great. It gave her that time. So how she remedied this situation of making sure everybody else was doing well is she had ambassador, what she called ambassadors. And the ambassador would be uh, at the table. And when it was time to switch, 
And you always want to give kids plenty of transition time. Like, you know, we're going to be moving in two minutes. We're going to be moving in one minute. Let's get the materials together. That's what that sounds like. Leave the station just like you found it. The ambassador would lay behind for just a minute while the rest of that team moved forward. And the ambassador would get the next team ready to go just for 30 seconds. Say, guys, here's what you're doing. This is what you got. And then they'd scooch on to their next team. Another thing you want to do when you build stations is really think about your movement. Uh, how they're going to move, model the movement, have so much time, give them pretty, plenty of heads up when we're going to move. One question comes up that teachers don't have room, but the, a station, I've seen this implemented in so many ways. The main thing, just put it on the walls. You know, I mean, you can put math problems on chart paper on the wall. We can put sorts on a desk by the wall. You can move into the hall. Sometimes I've used other rooms, like I've reserved uh, the the media center or lab or something, but most of the time it's in in the classroom. So you want to time them. You want to be sure you have instructions at every table ready to go. It's very clear. Uh, All the materials are there. Uh, and, and students typically actually stations, really well implemented stations are very structured. So it's not loosey goosey. I don't think that's a, a word loosey goosey, but I don't think they're, that they are, they're very structured. Um, and how we group our kids also matters a great deal on that. So, so let me just kind of summarize here a little bit because I've, I know I've hit a lot of key points here. If we started with advantages and boy, are there a lot of them? Attention span, focus, student autonomy, student centered learning building leaders in class, learning how to work in a team, collaborating with one another. One of our big questions we talked about is if we want to have a a teacher-led center, which is totally fine, or do I want to be out there with my kids? I think it varies by teacher and it varies by what we're teaching. So I don't have a firm. I know that some people believe that there, there always has to be a teacher station. I'm not in that camp. Uh, there are times I want to be out with my students, and particularly if I've got some really rigorous, meaty stations, I want to be out there. Um, you know, one of our, I think the biggest watch force on stations is who knows what. We want to be, because they, they can be so busy and so happy, and woo, stations are great. But I really got to be sure I know by the end of that lesson, who knows what? How much were they relying on their partners? Um, and, 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 I, and one of the things I use uh, is, a, is also an anchor activity that really helps with that. So we can take stations, take a class, and we look at it. Might We might have been thinking about teaching this whole group, but we can break this up into stations. And student, students can just have great time learning this um, and have a great time, you know, just working with their partners. I think the beauty of these, if, they, if we craft them well, we can almost relax a little bit. I mean, we can just enjoy our students during this learning experience. So thanks so much for joining me today. I hope you join us every Wednesday for a podcast. Thanks for all that you do in opening doors for your kids, creating opportunities every single day. Boy, it's a it's a tough job some days, but it's the best job in the whole world to have. Thanks, guys. We are so glad you joined us on this episode of My Ed Expert. For more resources on the ever-evolving realm of education, head on over to myedexpert.com and get inspired by all of our author's work through downloads, strategies, and best practices. While you're there, hop on to get updates right to your inbox because you don't want to miss a thing right here on My Ed Expert.